Lord, thank you for this time, this moment in space where we are together in, in this building. And we thank you for your word that has been read out to us. And we ask, Lord, that you'd please help us. Uh, please protect our minds so that we can focus. Um, please uh, soften our hearts so that we would, we would uh, be in love with you and your word and your teaching. And I pray to you, Lord, that you'd help us to grow together in love and maturity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I, wanna, I wonder if uh, you would, one, I wonder if you know what would be the most important job in the world. What is the most important job in the world? I'm sure you don't think it's the president or the, or the king. Uh, you probably, your main mind over time might go to things like uh, doctors or emergency services. Maybe if you had enough time, you'd think, oh, of course, it's, it's parents. And if, of the parents, it's the mother. <laughs> uh, you know, we're, we're, it's an interesting question. And a couple of years ago when we had our uh, lockdown, we had uh, the COVID pandemic. And as things were easing, uh, easing there was the question of what is an essential worker. Uh, and uh, we, it eventually evolved to be that if you feel like your job is essential, then that's an essential job. Uh, and that's fine. Uh, but what, what's the most important job in the world? Um, Moses had a particularly hard job. He had a lot of people to look after, hundreds of thousands of people uh, under his care. And he had a, a, it's a massive ordeal um, to have led the people. It was all God's power, all God's strength, all God's decision, all God's plan. And he followed the Lord's instructions. But at, at the end of the day, people looked to Moses and wanted to know what they're to do next. Uh, we've come to Exodus chapter 18. So if you've been with us, uh, we're, we're going from Exodus 1 to 20. So we're almost at the end of our series. Exodus continues. It's only halfway through the book of Exodus. But in chapter 18, we've got to a pivotal point, a pivotal point in the story. And it's actually a very different flavor to the story. We've had excitement of plagues and, and, uh, and mayhem in in safe and waters parting into a great big adventure ride in the book of Exodus, and then and what's going to happen in the future is uh, is the is the is the uh, giving of the Ten Commandments and all the other commandments uh, commands from God. Uh, that's the flavor of the second half of the book. But right in the middle, in chapter eighteen, is this uh, um, organization of the nation. How are people to be organized? Um, totally different flavor. It's a bit sort of mundane, as Moses talks to his father-in-law. It's very uh, human. Um, it's a pivotal moment in the book of Exodus as we go from what has happened to what's about to happen and leading into chapter 19 with the giving of the Ten Commandments. We've, I've got allocated for today two chapters, and two chapters is too much. But one, I wanted, So I was going to do one chapter today, um, but it turns out that one chapter is not enough. And to understand chapter 18, we really need to look at chapter 17. It's essential that we look at chapter 17. Uh, so let's get started. Uh, you've got an outline there. You can see where I'm heading. You can see how, how I'm tracking. Um, uh, the first point is the rock, the rock that struck, the rock that struck, sorry, the rock that was struck. There we go, I've got my head in space. Uh, you might remember last week uh, we talked about the three grumblings, the three episodes where Israel grumbled, then Israel grumbled, then Israel grumbled. And we looked at the second of those grumbling stories. And in, here in chapter 17, it's the third of those grumbling stories. Uh, so it's grumble version three. And what are the people doing? In Exodus chapter 17, uh, let me just draw out a few things so we can get through this story rapidly. In chapter two, 
the second half of, sorry, verse 2, the second half of verse 2 says, Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? What are the people doing? They're putting the Lord to the test. They're putting the Lord uh, under scrutiny. And in the very last verse of that section, verse 7, he called the place Massa and Marabah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? Now, there's a good name for a computer game. Is the Lord among us or not? We could shorten it to just among us, and there's a little joke for you. Uh, but moving on. Um, the people, what were the people doing? The people were putting the Lord to the test. This is the people versus God trial. Now, do you think that they're a little bit angry? Have a look at verse 4. Four. The second half of verse 4 says, uh, Moses, Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. They're about to put Moses to the death. They're about to kill a man. They're so angry. Now, I was at a, one of the growth groups this week, and someone in the growth group said, I don't blame them. <laughs> well, that wasn't quite their words. But they empathized with, uh, with the Israelites because they're in the, they're in the wilderness. They're in the desert. And there's hundreds and thousands of them, and there's no water. And, you know, you only have to go um, a little bit after breakfast before you start getting grumpy. And uh, who knows how long they've been without water. Um, And so they're cranky, but they are livid. They want to kill a man. They're so outraged. Uh, But Moses is, is, is God's representative for the people. And so really, as the passage is laid out, they're, they want, they're putting God on trial and they're angry. They even want to know, is God even amongst us? He may have been, we've seen him in Egypt. We've seen all the wonders, that's fine. We're not doubting God, but has he left us? He's actually deserted us. Is he really even here? Moses, where is he? The other thing I want to draw out of this passage before we sort of see what, what the story is teaching us is about the staff. Look at verse 5. So the people are putting God on trial. In verse 5, it says, The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people. So where they're about to stone you. Go out in front, go, in, go and stand in front of them. That's a bit scary. Uh, take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. And there's a lot of detail there. It's not just take a stick. It's take the staff, the one that you've been... Uh, using ever since I met with you with you at the burning bush take that staff with you it's the one that you struck the Nile with you see the the spirit of God as he writes this this passage is underlining some stuff for us and it's the staff of God which Moses has been using all this time to judge Egypt to bring the judgment of God on Pharaoh and his and his uh his nation in chap back in chapter 7 verse 20 is one example of, of where the staff of God is being mentioned. And God says, uh, Moses, raise the staff, use the staff in the presence of Pharaoh and Pharaoh's officials. So here we have Moses in the presence of the elders of Israel, about to use this same staff that he used to bring judgment on the people of Egypt. So let's just recap. The people of God, the Israelites, are about, they, they are against they've raised up against the lord and god says moses take that staff of judgment and stand before the people and so we're thinking if we don't know this story already we're thinking oh my goodness the 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 wrath of god is going to come out on the israelites take that same staff that you struck the nile with and go and stand before the people god is about to god is about to judge but then there's a rock look at verse six I will stand there before you, 
by the rock of Horeb. So there's a rock and God says, I will stand there before you. I will be present. You'll be there, Moses. The rock will be there and I will be there before you. And I want you, with that staff of judgment, I want you to strike the rock. Strike the rock. Do you see where this is heading? Do you see what's happening here? That where Israel is completely guilty of putting God on trial uh, and, and casting judgment on him, God says, you've, ris- you've raised up against me, I, it's time to judge. But rather than me put the judgment on you, I will stand before the rock. And I want you to strike the rock with the judgment stick. And that's when the water flows out of the rock. But friends, this is not just the story of God's generosity. That in a, in a wilderness, he can bring water out of, out of a rock. That is obviously a clear message of the story. But I think this is not just God's generosity. This is God's grace. This is the grace of God being shown to a nation of rebels who don't deserve him. They never deserved him. But in God's kindness, he called them. He raised them and said, you are going to be my people. They've... they've They've been violent against God and where God should have cast judgment on them, he stu- God himself stood in the place of judgment so that they could be blessed with the pouring out of the water. Friends, this is the story of the Son of God. This is what Christ did on the cross. Uh, at the end of Moses' life, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, Moses wrote another song and he records it for us. And in that song, he, he describes God as the rock. I find that very fascinating. For you and I, if, if you've been part of a church for a long time and you think, okay, we're going to sing songs about the rock, uh, I, I'm sure you're the same, think, okay, yes, uh, the rock. That is um, Jesus talking about the solid rock. Build your, build your life on the rock, not the sand, because the sand is, has got no, it's hopeless. It's, it's, it's no firm foundation. Build your life on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. He is the rock. Or Jesus is the cornerstone, that the, build, the beginning of the, 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 the church of God is, he is the foundational stone, and we all build from, from that. There's two references to the rock. But these aren't references that Moses has. And so when Moses declares that, that God is, the rock, is his rock in Deuteronomy 32, I suspect that he has this, this occasion and another, another similar occasion that we, that's recorded later in his mind that God as righteous and holy as he, as he is, is the one who stands and takes our pain for us. He takes our sin so that we can be righteous, so that the nation of Israel can be a righteous nation, a saved nation, a holy nation, a nation of priests, because God is willing to take their sin away from them. Well, that's the gospel. And if, you are, if you're newish to church, then friends, that's the, that's the, that's the thing you need to focus on is the understanding of what God has done for for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. That at the cross, it wasn't just a martyr dying a sad death. It is that Jesus, the righteous one, died on the cross to take away our sin, to take the wrath of God on him so that we don't have to experience that wrath of God ever if we put our trust in him, if we come to him for salvation. But then there's a next episode in chapter 17, starts at verse 8. Where the, star, where the nations rise up, the nations that rage. So we've had Israel and their rage, but now we go to the nation of um, the Amalekites and their rage. And Kirk uh, drew some fantastic pictures for us about that. I thought that was wonderful. Um, but friends, just like uh, Kirk may have surprised you in his application, the, 
But this is not about prayer. Uh, we, we'd love to say that, that Moses prayed, and while he prayed, there was, there was uh, victory, and when he got tired of praying, there was defeat. Friends, that's, I, I want to uh, suggest that's not what the passage is about. It's how, let me prove it to you. Uh, in verse 9, it says, Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill and the staff of God in my hand. Uh, there's nothing mentioned there about prayer. Two things are mentioned. One is tomorrow I'll do such and such. And the other thing is I'll have the staff of God in my hand. Uh, tomorrow, let me just remind you, back in, uh, there's a few passages. If you're writing notes, write quickly. Uh, 8.23 829, 95, 9.18, and 10.4. They're chapters and verse references uh, that talk about that word tomorrow. But let me read one of them. Exodus 8.23. Exodus 8.23 says, I will make a distinction. This is Moses speaking. I will make a distinction between my people, that's Israel, and your people, that's Egypt. This sign will occur tomorrow. You might remember as, as Moses was going through the period of the plagues on Egypt, he would speak to Pharaoh and when he was about to walk away and send a plague, he, he, he always said, this will happen tomorrow. This judgment will happen tomorrow. And here we have Moses in this episode where the, a foreign nation is rising up against God's people and Moses says, tomorrow, this is what's going to happen. And what does he do? He, uh, he doesn't spend the day in prayer, he spends the day raising his hands. So let me just reread verses 10 to 13 in chapter 17. So Joshua fought, the, Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning, but whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up uh, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Friends, clearly the hands are, are repeated in that passage, but we are told quite clearly in verse 9 that Moses will be hand, holding the staff of God in his hands. So it's when the staff of God is raised, when the judgment of God is raised, that's when, that's when victory is won. When, when, when Moses gets tired and, and the staff is lowered, that's when Amalekite, Amalekites rise up. It's another story, really, of what happens when a, a nation rises up against God and God has all the right to bring judgment on them. How dare they rise up and try to overcome the people of God, the will of God, the, 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 the strength of God. Friends, this, these two stories are about God's judgment. But in the first story, we see God taking the judgment on himself through mercy and kindness and grace. In the second story, we hear of God saying, no, the Amalekites are against him. Uh, just quickly, in Deuteronomy chapter 25, in Deuteronomy 25, again, towards the end of Moses' life, he recalls this event. He reflects on it and he says these words. Uh, 25 verse 17. Remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt, when you were weary and worn out. They met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. So 
But God judges them because they, they're, 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 they have no fear of God in them. And while God chooses to have mercy on Israel, he chooses not to have mercy on, it, on the Amalekites. And his prediction is that they will one day be wiped out. I think one of the most famous psalms is Psalm 2, um, probably because it's the second psalm. So if you're ever going to read through the psalm sequentially, you're going to get to Psalm 2 before you get tired. Uh, but it's also a very thematic psalm. And uh, here's what it says, just a few words. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? It's useless. The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let's break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. The Lord has decided that Israel will be blessed and that they will be a sign to the world of his kindness, his goodness, his grace and his mercy. And it's futile for, for the nations to rise up and, and try to, to fight God in any way, shape or form that that takes. In the, in the story of uh, Exodus chapter 17, it's in the form of uh, one army fighting the Israelites. But there's that staff again, God's judgment and it's futile for us to stand up against God. It's futile for us to put him on trial. And it's futile for us to think that we, that we can overthrow him, to get rid of him. Because he laughs, he scoffs. But he has, in his grace and mercy and his plan and his wisdom, installed a king in Israel. And that king is Jesus. He is the international king. He's the universal king. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. And the Bible says over and over again in many ways and different, different ways that if we do not come to Jesus, then we, then we will suffer the wrath of God. It's the judgment of God that stands against us. But the kindness of God is found in Jesus. You see, if you want to be uh, compelled by a stick, then avoid judgment by coming to Jesus. But if you want to be compelled by love, then come to Jesus because he's, a, he's the model of, of love and mercy and kindness that would take away our judgment. As that takes us to chapter 18, and it's the third point, the people who, the people who know God, the people who know God. Uh, so Jethro uh, comes to Moses. Let me just read verse 1, 18 verse 1. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. So there's our context, there's our opening setting for the chapter of 18 and we're reminded of who Jethro is. Not the first time we've met him but he is Moses' father-in-law uh, but he's most importantly he is one of the nations, he's a Midianite, he's not an Israelite, he's He's, he's what they, the Bible would call a Gentile. Okay, so those who are new to that word, uh, Gentile means nations. It means the whole world. And Israel is distinct because God has chosen to show grace and mercy on them. But Jethro is a representative of one of the nations. The Amalekites rose up to fight the people of God. The people of God rose up to fight God, but God showed mercy on them. Here is a Gentile who's come and heard of the news of what God has done. He's heard from a distance. Uh, but he comes uh, not to wage war 
on Israel or the people of God. He comes to investigate and to hear more about what he's heard from afar. So he comes close and, uh, and he hears the testimony of Moses. Uh, glance down at verse 8. Verse 8 says, Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. You can almost hear the excitement of Moses as he, as he greets his old friend, his father-in-law, who had permitted him to marry his daughter. You know, there's a friendship, there's a relationship there. And he says, Jethro, this is, you've got to hear all this. How exciting. And did you notice that when Moses says, he didn't say, look at, look at what I did with the staff and look what I did and what I did. He says, look what the Lord did. Look how great the Lord is. He did this to Pharaoh and to all of Egypt and he, he, he saved the people. And you hear maybe this, this personal testimony of Moses who says, don't look at what I've done, but look at what the Lord has done for us. Jethro had heard from afar. Now he draws near and he hears personally from Moses the grace of God, the power of God, the awesomeness of God. And this Gentile came to know God and to worship him. Look at verse 10. Jethro said, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Verse 11, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. When we first, when we're introduced to Jethro, we're told that he's a Midianite and we're told that he's a priest of Midianites. So he's, he's, he's something of a holy man, but I want to suggest, more than suggest, I want to say that he, he's, a, he's a holy man who does, he has no knowledge. He lacks the knowledge that God has given. Uh, the world is filled with, uh, with religion. Religion seems to be part of our human desire. There's, uh, there's something about a spirituality. Let me call it spirituality. But Jethro, while he's a priest in Midian, he says here in verse 11 that now I know that the Lord, Yahweh, is, is the Lord of all gods. He's greater than all the gods. So you get this clue that, that, that this priest in, in Midian uh, was open to all sorts, all sorts of descriptions of gods. But now he comes and he knows, he knows this personal God of the nation of Israel. And then the rest of um, chapter 18, verses 13 to 27, is, is easy to understand. You know, uh, Jethro looks at the method that Moses is using to rule the nation. There's hundreds and thousands of people, and Moses spends all of his day from breakfast till supper hearing, hearing the words of the Israelites. Uh, look at what they're trying to do, though. In verse 15, Moses answered Jethro in his, in his defense. He says, because the people come to me to seek God's will. I think that's wonderful. He's, ru he's running a nation who now desire to know God's will. What does God want us to do? Tell us, Moses. We want to know more about God, how he thinks, what he wants us to do in response to this or that matter in this world. And so there's a nation now at this point in time who are seeking God's will. Um, but it becomes a national effort. Jethro gives Moses some very practical advice. So it's very, it's very small incident, incidental point here. It's fine for Christians to get advice from professionals in the world. That's my point over. Now we come to Jethro. Uh, what actually happens is uh, Jethro, under Jethro's advice, we get this result. Uh, in verse 21, he says, but select capable men. Don't just ask anyone. Get capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain. So choose carefully who you rise up. They need to be men who have 
captured the idea of serving God. They need to have been people who proved through their character and their virtue that they are God-fearers um, uh, authentically and appoint them officials over thousands, hundreds and fifties. Uh, so the result then is that, they, that the nation would endure and be satisfied. Have a look at verse uh, 23. Um, if you do this, says Jethro, and God so commands, so if my advice fits with God's commands, if this is fitting under God, then you, Moses, will be able to stand the strain. You'll endure. You won't burn out. You'll, you'll, this will be a marathon that you can run all the way to the end. It won't be all on your shoulders, Moses, because it will be spread across the nation and all these people will go home satisfied. So the best outcome for the nation is not for one man to, to run everything, but for the whole community to see this as a community effort, that everybody steps up. Everybody steps up. There are those who are appointed leaders, but everyone is seeking the will of God. They're, they're, they're seeking to know God in, tr- in, in truth. And they're doing this not under the burden of one person, but spread across the community. In the New Testament, in 2 Timothy 2.2, two, two, it's easy to remember, all these twos, 2, two, 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 two Timothy 2.2, two, two, uh, Paul says to Timothy, to uh, what I have taught you, that's the gospel, the true gospel, what I have taught you, entrust to, um, entrust to good men, entrust to men who are able, who have proven that they, are, that they, ha- they know the gospel too and that they are able to teach, equipped and trained. This is, the, this is the New Testament method. So we move from Moses. That's a unique thing. This is a, a, a polit- there's a political aspect to this and the nation of Israel, but it is spread across all, of, all the nation of Israel to know, know God because they are the nation who has received the grace and mercy of God like no other nation. And what God intends for the nation of Israel is that they will be a light to the world so that people like Jethro from other nations will come near They'll hear the reputation of Israel. They'll come near. They'll inquire, and they'll be. They will then. They will know, and they will bow down, and they will worship. But friends, we are the Church of God, and we have a job to do. I want to suggest that our job is the most important job in the world, Uh, because if you've tracked the kind of theme of this sermon, without God, without Jesus people are going to hell. So we need people to meet Jesus. And so that's why our, imp- our job is the most important job in the world. Uh, and we do this together. That God has raised up not just ministers, but all of us. I didn't, I didn't cue Connor to say what he said earlier on, but he's right, that Jesus at the Great Commission, Matthew, that reference up there, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus stood up and said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. So Jesus declares, I am that king. I am that king that everyone has to bow down and worship. And he says to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. You've been saved in order to go and make more disciples. That's our job. It's essential. It's actually been given to us by the command of Jesus. Uh, and so we need to do this together. This is our, our shared burden. And we're all being given gift, different gifts, and so we share the, the, the load differently. But rather than, rather than, I've got good news for us all. Because rather than say, right now, that's, you've heard the sermon, now go out and make disciples. And good luck. 
here's the good news, that we actually do this together. I, I, this is why I love church. Here's why I love church. A, because God saved us. But here's why I love the, 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 the practical idea of church, is that as a community, we can bring people in, introduce them to Jesus, like Moses introduced God to, to Jethro, and say, this is what Jesus has done for us. Would you like to know more? And we can invite people to know more. And actually what we can do is be practical about that. Uh, just as Moses was practical for the nation of Israel, we can be practical about how we do that. Uh, rather than, it, it's, good enough, it's good for us to just be a welcoming church, open the doors, and on a Sunday, people come in, hear the gospel, and we'll just let the Spirit of God um, do the work. Now that obviously is what has to happen. Without the Spirit of God, we, we, we can't do, do this. But with the Spirit of God and practicality, we can, we can do this together. And so on a Sunday, we can welcome people to the door, bring them in, and then help uh, invite people to be on, on, on a pathway to, to know Jesus and then to grow in Jesus and to continue the path of growing in Jesus. It's at their pace. We don't force people into where It's obviously the Spirit of God work doing the whole purpose. But we, as Paul said in the New Testament, uh, some people sow the seed, some people water the seed, but God, but God grows. We know that God does this work. But the Bible always says, but the church is doing this. The church are the hands and the feet. Blessed are the, one, blessed are the feet who bring good news, is what the Bible says. Over and over again, uh, we're, we're reminding the Bible that without God's grace and his spirit, there will be no one was saved. Without Jesus' death on the cross, there is no hope for us. We're all, like Israel, rebels before God and deserve his judgment. But by the grace of God, we are saved. And we want more, people, more and more people to be saved. In 1 Peter 2, uh, verses 9 and 10, uh, it says that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Not, not Israel, we, you and I, the church of God, we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Uh, a, a, sorry, a cho- sorry, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Um, that we may, so we, we, we are that, so that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his glorious light. So, friends, I want to say that we're, we, we do need to obey Jesus' great commission. Um, but it's, we do this together. We do this together. Uh, we want to invite everyone who comes to church to, um, to step into the Knowing Christ course, if that's where they're at. Uh, and if, if, if they've already heard the gospel, then come along to the Growing in Christ course, which we're, we're starting on the 25th of July. It's a Tuesday night. Come and, come and join us. Come and join me. I'll be running that uh, for, uh, for, a, for a number of weeks to grow in Christ, understand what it, what it looks like to, uh, to know this God who saves, who longs for us to know him and have eternal life with him. And then we move on from, from growing in Christ to be part of growth groups so that together we can disciple one another. Friends, on our own, we can do this, but it's much better together. It's a joy for us to do this together. And I think it's, a, I think it's rewarding and it's practical. And, uh, and if this is what God would bless, then this is what I'd like us to do together. So I'm going to um, ask God to, to bless us uh, in that. But friends, uh, just, you know, the 25th of July is when our Growing in Christ course is running. Uh, it goes over, it, it covers eight uh, key elements of, of what um, Christianity looks like. The Knowing Christ course is an introduction to Jesus and salvation, what the cross of Christ does, why the resurrection is, is so important, and growing in Christ goes 
um, beyond that to, to how does that knowledge of the gospel shape our lives and grow us and equip us. Let's, uh, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for um, being so gracious and merc- merciful and we thank you for the story of, uh, of Israel in the book of Exodus that reminds us Uh, that we are to shape our lives around making Jesus known in our community. I pray, Father, that as a church community, you'd help us to do this together. Help us to to work in partnership with one another, and we pray that we do this all for your glory and for your kingdom. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.